Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, TV production workers worried about the possibility of mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations as Seven considers making such a move. Can you believe anything posted by reality TV stars on their social media accounts? And we speak with the one and only Jamoan ahead of the premiere of his brand new show. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box is about to start. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. And it's a big hello as we record on a Monday morning. Joining me over in Florida is the lovely Sarah Monaghan. Hello, Sarah. It's Sunday night here. Mm-hmm. Over in Perth, we've got Aaron Ryan. Hello, Aaron. Hello, gorgeous people. Always a pleasure to be here. Reporting live from Sydney is the viewer's advocate, Mulk. Yes, I can see the Opera House from here. <laughs> and I'm Rob McKnight. For your viewing or listening pleasure on the Gold Coast or hatred, whatever. Uh, All right. There's a lot (laughs) happening in the TV industry, as always. Let's get into it. Because the television industry could be next to follow suit in making COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory. As exclusively revealed on TV Black Box, a survey sent out to some staff at Channel 7 asked for their input on whether the vaccine should be compulsory. The network says they are gathering the views of employees and will share the results of the survey. Sarah... I have to be honest, workers came to me very concerned about this. Um, we know, especially in Australia, there is a big discussion going on about mandatory vaccinations and employment, but freelance workers especially are worried about Seven instigating this. Fair or not? Um, I think it was it was, uh, it was really nice of Seven to actually ask the people so i guess they're going to go with the majority so Mm. if like 80 percent of people think that you should be vaccinated then that's the majority and go with that but if you know only if 80 percent of people say no then hopefully they also go with that um so i mean i i don't have a problem with them sending out a survey Mm. um and then if they actually do what the people... Now, if they send out the survey and then they just do whatever they want anyway and it's the complete opposite of what people want, then that's different. But to me, I think we're at the point now, like, unless you have some kind of religious objection or you are like as a kid i was told not to get vaccines because they made me really sick so if you have a medical thing then you should probably be getting vaccinated and it's not political at this point it's basically the only way the industry is going to keep going is if people stop getting sick and we have to stop shutting down um and freelancers i mean i feel bad for them but i mean i I don't know for them is seven isn't their only employer 
you know, so they're having to live by the rules of one employer uh, um, and not specifically others. We don't know what 10 and Well, they get vaccinated and... because no one's saying that you shouldn't be vaccinated, right? Well, but the thing is, in the, everything's political. We know that. We saw protests on the Queensland-New South Wales border this weekend where people were charging because they didn't like border closures. But I agree with Sarah Mulk in that it's great to see Seven actually consulting with staff and the conversations I had really seemed to indicate Seven don't have a hard line on this and actually wanted feedback to form their opinion. I think it will help and it shows that they're wanting to engage in the conversation with their staff. That said, they're under no obligation to reveal to them what the actual response was and whatever their ruling turns out to be can be whatever they wanted in the first place. Except they've said they will share the results in yeah, the statement to us. But the actual results are the results they want you to see. Like, this is the <laughs> challenge of, you know, this kind of um, engagement. So Absolutely, they can share the response, you know, the, the results as they are, and that's awesome. They can also say, well, we actually want this to be the thing, and we want it to be by a landslide. So every executive's vote counts for 50 votes. Are so you saying they're going to do this like they do the race? I'm not suggesting that they are going to do this. I'm <laughs> saying that there is – it's uh. not – a legal process. They can no, res- it's not. But I'm prepared to give to be them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, mate, I, I honestly think that the overwhelming result from staff is going to be let's get vaccinated and let's get on with it. Uh, the the challenge will be you mentioned before that you know they freelancers work in multiple situations. If you get vaccinated, you can't lose. So, um, as in, you know, if, if, you know, uh, business A that you work for says that you need to be vaccinated to work with us and business B says, actually, don't worry about it, but we're just going to run COVID protocols. If you're vaccinated, you're working fine in both situations. If you're not vaccinated, you can't work with company A. Um, and I think that every business, not just television, is going to have to address this at some point, particularly while we've got our um, political leaders telling us that we're going to have to learn to live with it and that at 80% vaccination rates is when we start to, you know, get on with life and, and do all of those sorts of things. Um, COVID has slowed up the television industry specifically. We're a TV podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. So I, I think any way that we can accelerate the return to whatever normal is going to look like for TV. And um, absolutely, if, if people are in a position to get vaccinated, they should absolutely get vaccinated. All right. An eliminated Bachelor contestant has broken contract by creating a new Instagram profile and posting spoilers for the show. This comes after a production insider told the So Dramatic podcast that contestants were asked to sign an amendment to their initial contract, which gave Warner Brothers and Channel 10 control of their social media for the duration of the series. Each Bachelor contestant was allegedly offered $5,000 to participate in the social media freeze period. (laughs) This is interesting because social media has the power, doesn't it, Mulk, that if contestants aren't happy with their portrayal, they go rogue. And this is what um, production companies are trying to stop now. Well, particularly when it's it's pre-recorded with a massive runtime. You know, if if you're playing out and doing the show and then like you're filming and then it goes to air that night or later that week, there's a little bit less opportunity to be able to balance or manage that out. Uh, But with, you know, shows like uh, The Bachelor or shows like Beauty and the Geek, which I'll add into this bucket. I don't have proof of this. However, I have seen a number of Instagram accounts of both the beauties and the geeks and to see the way they would talk about their experiences or, you know, there's stuff, you know, when they post a photo, here's me talking about stuff. And then the shots that clearly came from the show and the way the Mm. the text joined it, they didn't write that stuff. 
Um, that's written by a PR person. There's no question. Um, it is keys to the kingdom material. They want to protect the show. They want to make sure that the edit that they're delivering is what gets played out. They don't want anyone to jump up and down and go, hey, that didn't happen or that's not how that happened or that's not who I am or all of those sorts of things. I'd expect that we will see both a tightening of contracts and more and more participants going rogue with you know hidden new accounts. Well, this this was hilarious, Aaron, because we saw this Bachelor contestant who whose official Instagram account was saying, oh, that moment when da-da-da and, and talking very lovely. And then she's got this Instagram account where she's basically they're all giving the finger to the Bachelor. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I'm um, uh, on the fence with this one, so I'm absolutely uh, available to be be convinced about this. On one hand, I think it's disgraceful to be asked to hand over passwords. There's something morally wrong about this, the whole thing. But on the other hand, as Mog says, some of these these pre-records are three or four months. So posting anything on on, um, Instagram or whatever, um, even if you're sitting there watching TV and watching a movie, well, if you're part of The Bachelor, how come you're sitting there alone? How come you're not with The Bachelor? Does it look like you're single? I mean, any type of giving away would be would be bad. So, I don't know. You know, it's an invasion of privacy. It's gonna it's gonna spoil the show. Don't you want authenticity from the contestants? Their reactions. What's the point? The 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 networks are trying to jump on, and sometimes they choose people with big Instagram followers, a lot of followers. And that's all about authenticity. When a network PR person takes over that account, it's not authentic. Well, it's and does that a mean publicity that they're, tool. They're not getting access to their own account for the whole time until this goes to air? Like, if half these people are influencers that go on there. Does that mean that they're giving up all of their side gigs and all of their paid promotions and all that for the time that they're giving up well, their account? Well, maybe they would have said no to the $5,000. Because some people earn way more than that. Like there are influencers mm. out there who earn, you know, a hundred grand a year off their Instagram yeah. account. So I, like brand no. Both like, both mm. of the stories we've talked about this morning are all about choice. We all have to make choices. If you want to choose to be involved in said reality show, and the contract says, and you have to give us the password to your Instagram account, and we'll change it so that you can't use it for that period of time or whatever the the deal is, and you say yes, you said yes. This week, the TV Black Box website is running a poll on the TV breakfast team you like the most, and we'd love you to take part. Now, we know chemistry plays a big part in why viewers choose ABC's News Breakfast, Channel 7 Sunrise, or Channel 9's Today Show. Of course, there are other factors, but there's no doubt good chemistry, or lack thereof it, can be a major factor. So, forgetting about ratings for a minute, this poll is focusing on the main presenters to find out who you think is best. Is it Michael and Lisa, Nat and Koshi, or Carl and Ali? You can find the poll on the TV Black Box website and it's open until 11.59pm on Friday, 27 August 2021. Aaron, who do you like to wake up with? Well, I think it's important to preface here that I have uh, lived in Perth my whole life. That's important for two reasons. One, we do things differently a lot, uh, a lot of the time over here, uh, over here in the west compared to the east. And the second thing is we don't change a lot. Um, hence the <laughs> unbelievable ratings for, se- for uh, the unbelievable ratings for Seven News in Perth, um, paired by two newsreaders who have been reading the news together since yeah. I was five years old. So when I watch morning television, I look to see 
what feels comfortable to me, who's like an, um, you know, a set of Ugg boots and like, you can't go past Nat and Koshi. Even Barretts has been on the, um, on, mm. on there forever. Um, but I'm not saying that I think the show's old and dorky. I mean, Michael Pell creates a, a great program that has evolved over the time and each and every year it, it's quite slick and well presented. But, uh, for me, They've been there for that long. Sunrise any day. Today has been swapping over the host too many times over the last years. It's too hard to get into. Aaron's TV only has one channel. <laughs> and that's all of Perth. That's all of Perth. Yeah, pretty much. That's why I prefaced before. You can't buy a TV in Perth that doesn't have, sorry, that, that has more than Channel 7 on it. <laughs> they're not allowed to be sold. Actually, Mog, that's not too, uh, true. It also has 7 2 and 7 Mates. <laughs> seven <laughs> Sarah, you lie. Sarah, oh, what about Jesus. you when you see our breakfast teams? Uh, who's taking your fancy? Um, I've always liked Stefanovic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then can I swap? Can I swap partners? Oh, the, I, the keys are in that, the bowl, Sarah. Who do you want to put with it? <laughs> <laughs> I would put Stefanovic with Nat Barr. Oh, that'd be an interesting pairing. T- can you imagine two brunettes on Australian television? <laughs> like, this would be unprecedented, <laughs> you, uncharted You mean ABC Breakfast? I don't know. I just like Stefanovic. I was sad. See, I don't think Sarah has had the opportunity to see ABC News Breakfast since Lisa took over, so let's be fair there. No, I haven't. Um Malk, what about you? Virginia was a, a brunette too. Okay. Um, I was giving her a get uh, out of jail free claw. <laughs> that's all right. I'd, I'd still like everybody. Um, I'm I'm a bit all over the place. I'll swap and change of a morning just to see, particularly if there's a big story, to see how they're all covering it. Um, I, I like the idea of being able to, to a bit Machiavellian-ish, uh, you know, swap people and, you know, to see what it would be like to have Carl and Lisa. Uh, as in Lisa Miller, um, or, you know, uh, Nat and Michael. It would be great to see that kind of mix-up happen. We know it's never going to happen. Um, each each of the shows bring their own strengths, and, and the teams that are fronting them, I think, have their own strengths. And I think that finally pairing Carl with Ali was a, a brilliant move. I think that's really starting to pay off for today. I think that Nat should have been in the chair a lot earlier than she should than she has been with um Koshi mm. and she's doing a great job there. Um and and I think that Lisa and Michael have done a great job, you know, in in building the ABC breakfast. I want to say brand, but I don't know that that's necessarily the right way to look at it. I think they're doing a great job, all of them. And I think the benefit is with three different breakfast shows, that really caters to the audience to allow them to get the kind of news presentation breakfast stuff that they that they would prefer. Mm. Well, if everyone would get vaccinated and I could come home, I could give you an accurate <laughs> uh, I've got to say, it's interesting. I like all three and I do like the pairings on all three mm. shows. I think Carl with Ali has been a fantastic uh, change. I think she brings a level of credibility. She knows how to play with him. I think the transition to Lisa Miller from v- Virginia Trioli has been brilliant. And and I think we have to um, acknowledge Virginia's role in that. She made that handover she really it for sure. smooth. She supported it. And that's when you really get a good transition. So Virginia, I think, did a great job. She was also a great host. Um I agree, Nat and Koshi are doing a great job. And I'm a bit of a flicker. I will be honest, during the Olympics, I tended to go to Sunrise a bit more. At the moment, I'm sort of sitting on the Today Show. 
when I'm in my office, I'm lucky I can see all three at once. So if something takes my fancy, I can take it. But I actually think we are spoilt for choice at the moment. And I think all three are doing a great job. And I actually like the fact today is more competitive with Sunrise. So I think that's a very good thing. I think competition's good. I will tell you, this poll at the time of record opened less than two hours ago and there have already been over 1,600 votes on the poll. And I can also tell you there is one brand way ahead at the moment. So, and it's... it could be an upset. So if you Is are... that their publicity person in there? Like, snap, 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 snap. Well, <laughs> I, I am wondering. I am wondering. Rob's vote is worth 200, uh, so it doesn't matter at the end what it's going to look like. Uh, there's there's enough votes. But it could be like the Logies, you know? Yes, but there's enough votes in there. As I said, over 1,600 at the moment, uh, and we're only two hours in, to suggest that um, that's a lot of refreshing if they are v- 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 voting. Are you going to go through and check if they're all coming from the one TV station's IP address? <laughs> well, maybe. But what I'm He's saying is that, that if you are one of the other breakfast shows, maybe get voting at tvblackbox.com.au to get your votes in because uh, we will be doing an article and declaring the winner. Uh, so TV Black Box readers will have their say. In a blow to Australian production companies, the quota for local children's content has been scrapped. When COVID-19 hit, the 55% quota for Australian productions was paused and has since returned. But there is no longer a minimum requirement to commission Australian children's programming for any broadcast network or streaming service. Aaron, do you think we need kids' quotas? To be honest, I don't really. uh, Just with the level playing field that's out there, there are people, especially the ABC, that does kids' content so well. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it's should be mandatory for anyone else to have to do that. In saying that, I mean I do recognise the effects of that decision, which has been you know a a lot of job losses. I mean, there's obviously that people because of these quotas that uh, get employment because of that. And I do recognise that that's happened. And I just think that's an unfortunate uh, byproduct of of scrapping those uh, quotas. I've got to say I agree with you, Aaron. Um, I think that the children's television in this country outside of the ABC TV doesn't rate. It is a waste of money for TV stations in this country. It's unfortunate, but it's true. We've got the ABC, which does a terrific job in commissioning children's-based programming. Bluey then goes on and becomes a hit around the world. And, you know, there's been great productions like uh, Little Lunch and things like that. Mog, where do you stand on this issue? Simon Townsend's Wonderworld never rated. Wombat never rated. Play School never rated. Yet they are all so incredibly valuable to the Australian TV landscape and to the formation of young people who are watching television that it would be and will be to our great loss that there isn't any of that content getting made. Um, But I, I I, I don't mean to interrupt, but on that I would say that was at a time when we only had four or five TV channels and we had nowhere else to go. Kids aren't watching commercial TV. Mate, they are watching all sorts of things, right? If you deliver good content, as the ABC has proven with, for example, as you mentioned, Bluey, they'll tune in. They'll watch it. 
in part because the age group, right? Parents are turning on Bluey for their kids largely because that's how old they are. Um, as they get a bit older, sure, you might need to be a little bit more broad in how you deliver it or what you do with it. Have a look, for example, at, at the way um, ABC are currently stretching their Good Game franchise uh, into a, two, I think it's a Wednesday afternoon show filmed on Twitch to be broadcast then on Saturday night. So young people can participate watching the Twitch stream and comment and do all those sorts of things and then tune in on Saturday night to see the edit, to see what made it. Um, that kind of stuff comes in part because the ABC continue to stretch and pull and draw on the two cents that they get given so incredibly well to turn out this content. I'm going to challenge the idea that around children's content, it's not actually important that it rates. It's actually more important that it's made. Um, if we didn't have people making children's programming for our young people. And I think across the board, as a condition of whatever thing we call the license these days, and I think it's outrageous that our commercial television partners um, have to make um, Australian children's television programming because without it, we don't get around the twist. Without it, we don't get, um, you know, all of these great um, uh, children's-focused dramas, comedies, educational programs, and they miss out. We are poorer for it. I guess it depends on if you want your kids to learn to say X, Y, Z or X, Y, Z. Because, like, I grew up, like, I loved Humphrey B. Bear. And then, like, I moved to the States and I was six one day and I was flicking through channels. And here he was in Spanish. Um, and, you know, we all grew up with Sesame Street and Romper Room. And there were mm. so many shows. And, like, one of my favorites growing up was Secret Valley. Um, which was for older kids. And there's all kinds of older kids shows, like there was a scuba diving one. There's all kinds of stuff. But like, and I've read people talking about without Australian production, you're not getting the Australian stories. And I think if there's really good Australian stories, people will make the shows. But at the same time, I think that if there's, there's nothing wrong with exposing your kids to international productions. Or oh, even, I'm not saying to not. I know, but, like, I think that the more we expose kids to, like, kids' shows from around the world, the more global we become, and that's going to help get rid of, like, racism almost. Because, you know, if kids are watching Japanese shows and they're watching South American shows or shows from the Middle East that are also directed at kids and all the kids see, no matter where we are in the world, we're all just kids and we're all doing the same thing. That I think that that helps as people grow older to get rid of, you know, this is just, you know, I'm just a Aussie and here's my, you know, Southern Cross tattoo and my pack of Winnie Blues and I'm not talking to anybody else. Gosh, so, what a just dark dystopian children's <laughs> program you yeah. just designed. Um, the challenge I would say to you, Sarah, though, is that if we, do, if we stop making children's programming to pour into that mix, then everybody loses. It's not just us anymore. But people can still choose to make it. It's not like we're saying you can't make this. Correct. It's just sure. people have to have something instead of forcing people to make something then maybe they don't have their heart in it and they're just pushing out whatever. Maybe someone will come up with something and be like, here's a great kids show and people will actually really want to do it and it's not a quota and they're actually pouring love and support into it. But we limit the opportunities for it. I don't think the small amount of programming that seven nine and ten have to do which is quite expensive will make much of an impact around the twist that of course that you mentioned was on the abc the wiggles and stuff all, all came from the abc so i think leaving the abc to do what they do best plus all of the um 
streamers and stuff. There are kids, lots of kids pro, cr- programming out there. Ten has found a bit of a niche thing with with kids programming. I mean, I know most of it's international, of totally course. Totally wild. Hmm? Totally wild. Yeah, they mainstay. Of course, there are um, exceptions and memories from seven, nine, and ten, but I don't think these days, when they're only making the bare minimum of their quota and removing them, is going to massively reduce the amount of kids' content that goes out there with all of the stuff that you know is on the ABC and that the streamers want to make and what you know uh, other people want to take up, like Ten Shake, want to have a whole kids channel thing throughout the day. So I just think it, it's it's not going to be heavily lost by the small quotas that 7, 9 and 10 have to have to do. And I also just don't think, unless they can make money, you're forcing something on program makers and, and networks that is affecting their bottom line. And at least with drama content quotas, uh, they have a chance to sell that overseas. I know they can with Australian productions as well, but the reach in primetime is higher than with children's television. And that My, my in-laws love Little Lunch. They 100%. Bluey, Little Lunch, all of these Australian kids productions that are doing massive business overseas, they are killing it way more than any Aussie drama. Uh, They're doing bigger deals. Couldn't agree more. They're having more impact. So if you're a network, why not try to come up with the next Bluey? The fact is it's not there. Children's television has always been an anchor around the Because they don't have to, Rob. That's the point. The networks, and they have always hated it, and they... They are not going to invest in making quality productions, but the ABC has shown that when you do, you can have real success. Is it any wonder why kids are running off to find their entertainment elsewhere when the networks treat them like this? No, but I come back to the point, Mog, that the all the examples you gave earlier about your Simon Townsend's Wonderworld... Shell's Neighbourhood! Yeah, but they were all... Such there was no the internet 80s. alternatives. <laughs> My kids watch TV on YouTube. They're not going to watch Channel 7 if they're running a show at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And you know what? When I had younger kids, I was happy to let them watch ABC Kids, not the commercial versions because I had to put up with all the ads and them trying to sell stuff to the kids. ABC Kids was actually a safe So you're saying that it's not okay for the networks to try and make some money by putting the ads in between. I'm not saying that at all. Like in and around the children's program and stuff. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying as a parent, I made a choice that I was only going to put them around ABC Kids because it was a safe space. Whereas when they watched the same program at 6.30 in the morning on a commercial network, they were subjected to all those ads and all those hard sells for products, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. So I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to. I'm saying I made a choice. Welcome to Choices, the podcast. Mate, what do you think is happening while they're staring down all of their content on YouTube? getting served ads that aren't even in any way revealed to them that the integrations or the product that's being profiled or whatever's going on is a 25-minute ad to them. Yes, but it's not. Well, uh, that's not necessarily true, by the way, with some of the with the stuff my kids watch. And also they get an ad beforehand. They get a couple of ads. They know how to skip. Believe me, they know how to use that skip button. Hmm. And they get one ad sporadically, not three and a half minutes of ads four times during a half-hour show. Well, the Olympics are over, but the race for gold is still on. Let's take a look at the ratings race for week 34. And it was the Reds out in front on a solid 31.6 network share in the five-cap cities, followed by the Blues on 26.2. 
Team Trump just managed to pip the national broadcaster on 18% to 16.7, and SBS had 7.5. In terms of primary channels, it was pretty much the same, except the Trumpians fell behind Auntie. Ten Bold and Seven Mate tied for first position in the digital channels on 3.2. Now let's take a look at the all-important demos. And in the 16 to 39, Seven ruled the roost on a 29.8% share, followed by 10 on 27.3, and 9 was bumped to third place on 26.2. But 9 fared better in 18 to 49s, where they came in second. It was 7 first on 29.9, then 9 on 27.9, and 10 dropped off to 24.8. 7 also took out the 25 to 54s on 29.6%, followed by 9 on 28.7, and 10 on 23.3. The Voice was the number one entertainment show in total people on 1.226 million. Malk, I know there's a lot of numbers in there, but I think we have to start focusing on demos as well as total people as per the requests of the networks. What do you make of all that, sir? Pi equals 3.14159. It's the the voice is at the moment unbeatable. Amazing. Like the blinds have been massive, massive business for seven and they have um, managed to stick their neck out and and it's paid off. Sure, promotion during the Olympics has not hurt them at all. In fact, it's probably doubled down. Um, I, I wonder how it will go when they shrink past the blinds. I think they go straight into so almost the semifinals at that point. I don't know. I'm not watching. Knockouts is next. There you go. Someone else gets cut out of something. Um, I, 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 it's 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 so big that it's even you know carving away um, you know the revelations of how much the producers are involved in it. You know, there was a, a guy guy Sebastian was interviewed by Yahoo, and that was picked up by News.com.au, where they were talking about the fact mm. that the, each of the four judges have a little red book with producers' notes in it um, about. Yeah, sure, you know, the song and so that they don't mistake uh, a song by an artist as being an original or whatever, that's cool. Um, But some of the other stuff, you know, just maybe, well, it's breaking the fourth wall. Like we kind of know that the producers are involved in doing this stuff, but to have it actually revealed is like, oh, well, now we know that Santa Claus is a person that has a red hat and a beard and stuff. Um, Hello, kids. We all make choices. Uh, I I think from a a ratings point of view, it's sevens to lose because of how big um, the voice is going for them and how much that knocks into the the later evening, the the impact that it has on their 9, 9, 20, 9, 30 shows. Um, uh, Nine are struggling by comparison, but they're doing fine you know, in and of themselves. I mean, this is the challenge. They are in a comfortable second position compared to 10 who are in a distant third. The only thing inflating them at the moment are um, uh, have you been paying attention and Survivor. Uh, that's the only thing that's rating above 500K for them at the moment, and that's that's not good business. No. Even when they ran double episodes of The Bachelor, they hit it as the whole two hours, as they, they coded it as a single episode to try and, um, basically hide how badly this, the second episode was doing. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Well, a few things. I'm not sure, honestly, whether it was on this podcast or somewhere else in the media saying that The Voice was actually tracking quite old, um, which I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, I don't if you think look we at, said that. 
Yeah, no, it might have been somewhere else. I said there, there was some someone talking about it, it sort of being an older audience. Um, eighteen to forty nine, it was the number one and two program of the week, and and same for that in uh, twenty five to fifty four. So it does it does actually track quite young. Um, in the national rankings after the news, The Voice Sunday was the most watched show nationally on one million eight hundred eight thousand. The Block Best was number fifteen for the Sunday episode at 1,058,000. So that's over 700,000 viewers behind. Now, I'm going to double down, though, on what I said last week and add a bit more. The, I think, honestly, the block is a disaster for Channel 9, and the, net, the network would absolutely be going into damage control at the moment. As a rule, most shows throughout the year are down, you know, year on year, except obviously The Voice. But the point I'm making is it does not matter what the number is for the block. Even if it's down, it should still be, though, the number one program of the night behind the news um, on 7 and 9. You actually need to scan the top 20 to find it, 12th for the night. It dropped to 500,000. If it wasn't for The Voice, it would be the number one program behind the news. Well, there's a whole heap of other programs in the top 12 that aren't The Voice where it's falling behind. Sure, but we're talking about the same time slot, the same market. The, I, I could say ostensibly that there's a whole bunch of people who are either catching up or recording or watching the the, the block at another well, time that are over watching that, the actually, voice. That's actually not true because it's act, Australian Survivor is actually on some nights beating the block or it's only just behind the block. So to think that if the voice wasn't there, the block would be number one. Oh. Well, perhaps Australia, Australian Survivor would be number one. If you look at that, and the other thing that that the Block's uh, audience is doing now, it's actually dragging down the rest of the network. The 100, no, Paramedics... Six, How is it dragging it down the rest of the network? Hang on. Because can I, can I jump a, in? I, I, I just want to... I, I just pulled up the ratings. So, Aaron, you are right. So let's look at last week's ratings. I've just pulled up the weekly um, report. Now, what I've got here is a quick reference, but it is uh, national figures, but I can break it mm. down. There might be some slight difference in five city metro, but what I've got here is national. And if we look, if we exclude newses, so The Voice is number three and we're concentrating on entertainment programs. The Voice Sunday is number... Acknowledging that national regional figures always skew towards Prime anyway because of their coverage. Yeah, it's just for a sense sure. of ease, it's just what I've got. Yeah, wrong, yeah. So we're happy to talk national. Yeah. That's fine. Um the Voice was number three, the Sunday night. The Voice Monday was number five. The Voice Tuesday was number six. Um, then the next thing is Home and Away at 14, then The Block at 15. So essentially The Block is the third biggest entertainment brand of the week. I don't think that's a disaster. It's certainly not doing the figures and its average was um, – Rob, keep, keep keep flicking down, though. If you look at the block, I think the Tuesday episode, 37th for the week nationally. The 37th most watched program of the week. In uh, that time slot? When, no, th- th- for the week. Okay, well, here's where we have to compare apples to so apples. The block was, uh, apologies, Mark. It was the block. Apologies, guys. I need to be clear. That um, ranking number 15 was the block Sunday. So then the block Wednesday is down at 22 Aaron is right. Yep. There is one at 37. That's the block Tuesday. So we had a bad night. But the thing is that I would say, yeah, look, obviously nine would be concerned about the block. The, but the voice is also doing extraordinary figures. You know, we all commended Channel 10 about Survivor when Survivor's doing around the yep. same kind of numbers. 
So, you know. It's doing good numbers. We, uh, and I'm not trying to be a nine or seven fanboy here. And the problem is we get accused of that no matter which side of the fence we come down <laughs> on. I think I've shown that I tell it how it is. The block is having some difficulties. There is no doubt about that. They wanted to perform better and there has been real criticism over the casting and the way that they've put it, for sure. None of that stuff fades away from it. That That's real. Absolutely. I'm actually on the fence whether it's a disaster or not. It's certainly in... If it was a new show, people would be saying, eh, it's doing all right. But the block has history of being a... a, a Ball buster, you know, mm. so it is a disaster on that front. But of course, nine are, fo- are saying, look at consolidated figures, look at BVOD and all those kind of things. So I, d- I don't know. I don't know. You've also to, 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 su- to suggest it's only the voice though is is a problem because it is being beaten or just behind Australian Survivor on, yeah. on some nights. It's moving into third position, and across a week, it should be sitting up there as the fifth, sixth, maybe tenth most watched program of the week. I mean, episodes dropping down to whatever it was, twenty-two, and certainly thirty-seven for the week is not the position, the block that wants to be in. And it does drag down the network because rather than having 800,000 viewers a night feeding into the 100, it's actually having an audience of 591,000 viewers feeding into the 100, which is going to pull down their audience. It's also going to pull down the audience of paramedics and it's also going to pull down the audience of 60 Minutes. If the show had have been at a lot higher, those audiences for those shows would have flowed a little bit more and would have been bigger. Um, I just think there's no doubt that... A, 100% that nine would be in damage control. They are now going to lose the year, um, certainly in total people, um, excluding the Olympics. And in terms of 16 to 39, 18 to 49, they're going to lose the year in those demos, I would say. And 25 to 54 is going to be on a knife edge, and that's excluding the Olympic Games. That is a massive problem for nine, and, and, and the responsibility of that goes back to the block. Wow. They are not 100% in damage control. We know they're not in 100% in damage control. Yes, there is no question that a good lead-in boosts later programs. That's simple math, right? That's how that how you get people to taste new programs. Paramedics is an established brand that could do better if it had a little bit more in the tank. That said, the block wins on Wednesday night. It's not a big deal there. Um, and, and in no small part, because there is no voice. The voice has shifted things because it's not just that it did over a million once, it hasn't dropped under a million. In, and that's just five city metro, right? It is doing out of the ballpark amazing numbers for seven. Congratulations to them. And it is impacting the rest of prime time because of it. Because people are tuning in over there, they're watching that, and then like everybody else, they're going off to watch something on a streamer or catch up on something later because that's just how it normally works. The nine o'clock experiment where um, all three, Yes, all three commercial networks have got a new program running at 9 o'clock is in itself amazing, but Australia now and then is about to finish. It's only a four-episode run interrupted by the Paralympics this week. Um, All of them could do with – all of them could do with better numbers. And the strategy's wrong. Their 9 o'clock strategy's wrong. No one's realising that people are going to forget individualised programming each week at 9 o'clock. 
Just like 7.30, the networks learnt that stripped programming works. Why would 9 o'clock be any different? At 9 o'clock, you need to have a nightly show you can go to. This is really, really simple, and I don't understand why nobody gets it. All these panel shows will not survive, and people will say, here's what's going to happen. Here's my prediction for a year's time. None of the 9 o'clock offerings will work to a level that anyone's happy with, and it will be written off as... Australians aren't interested in programming at nine o'clock. It's not true. You need a strip show you can go and get into the habit of watching. Nine o'clock, Monday to Thursday, Fridays are outside of that. Monday to Thursday, you need a place where you can go, where you know you can get whatever the panel show these networks put up is there for you. If you do it on this strategy, where you're relying on trying to build different brands on different nights, it's not going to work my prediction. Now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. There's a new twist for season four of Lego Masters with the Herald Sun reporting that each team will have a celebrity as an additional member. This will be the first season filmed in Sydney with production moving from Melbourne to accommodate Hamish and his family's relocation and is set to air in 2022. Channel 7 has confirmed that they will be the home of the one-off 50th anniversary special for Hey Hey It's Saturday, as previously revealed by our very own Aaron Ryan. Daryl Summers will be returning as host, with appearances from some of the audience's favourite characters. The Hungry Jacks NBL and Network 10 have announced a three-year partnership that will see the Basketball League return to 10's free-to-air platforms. Two games per week will be broadcast live on 10 Beach, 10 Play, and for regional viewers, via 10's affiliation with Southern Cross Austereo and Wynn. The Seven Network has confirmed the appointment of Brett McKeon as its new head of digital news. He will be responsible for driving digital growth and managing the website's original reporting, digital articles, live news coverage, videos, podcasts, and social content. And that is this week's Hacks and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. In a moment, we're talking to Jamoan, and, of course, we'll open up the TV binge box to find out what everyone's been watching. You're listening to TV Black Box. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com well there's something about jamoan we aussies just love and when i heard he was launching a brand new show on channel 10 i just had to take the opportunity to talk to the irishman who's been a fixture on our screens for decades jamoan welcome to tv black box tv black box oh okay yeah well thanks for having me on <laughs> that's good you know who you're talking to uh, yeah. <laughs> what is it why do you connect with australians so much who do I? Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe because you're a lot of your Irish background mm. as well. So I can identify with a lot of Australian people, just even their surnames, but the way in which they go on, very similar to the way in which we go on in Ireland. So um, I think there's a common bond there. 
Well, Who knows? So I have to maintain my modesty. At the same time. <laughs> Not here, you don't. Um, it's funny though. I speak to a lot of people, but when I said I was speaking to you, I had a lot of people say, oh, Rob, that's so exciting you're getting to talk to him. There is a genuine love for you in this country. Um, and I think you've talked about that in the past where you said you're more famous here than you are in your homeland. Yeah, well, I didn't do comedy in Ireland. I started doing stand-up in Australia. Uh, like Dave Allen. Dave Allen did the same thing. I don't know if you remember him. But he was an Irish comic who was big in Australia and then mm. went back to the UK. So my career kind of following a similar path, I um, I got established here. And then with only within the last 10 years, I think I've been touring to the UK. Um, and, you know, so I, I very much was for a long time. People only knew me in Australia. And, and is your humour translating to the UK? Yeah, I mean, I just the only thing I have to change is is dollars to pounds. Really, I don't really talk about <laughs> politics. I talk about the human experience, yeah. the my own my own frailties, my own shortcomings, my own stupidity, and that kind of <laughs> resonates with people. And tra it travels well. I don't really, I've never really found political humour or commenting on, you know, people in in the papers that entertaining in the first place. So mm. I try to avoid those things simply because I just don't find them funny. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. It's interesting. We're yeah. a TV-focused uh, podcast and website. You've certainly had a huge career on our screens. You know, of course, we think the Jamoan show on Channel 7. What was it like producing that on a weekly basis? Um, oh, I have to really delve into my memory. <laughs> we had a... Well, this show is not unsimilar. Like, uh, we have a live night, which is tonight. We've got the last episode of Walsing Jamone tonight in Noosa. And uh, there was a live so night for Jamone, which we recorded in front of an audience. And then the rest of the week, we recorded sketches um, and did stuff within the studio. But, yeah, it was, it was um, a big turnaround. Like, to try and make an hour of television every week uh, was very draining. Um and the quantity had a, had an effect on the quality towards the end, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Like in the UK, they make like you know six half hours in a year, and that's mm. it. And then they'll do a different show. Whereas we did fifteen one hours in the first year, and I was just, oh my god, this is too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, we did eight episodes of Walsing Jamone. So um, that, that was kind of full on, and but enjoyable. I'm glad to be working in this current condition. I think I'm the only comic working in the country at the minute. Well, that's the thing. Let's talk about this show because, as you mentioned, it's called Waltzing Jamoan. And I've been lucky enough to see um, the first episode, which premieres on Sunday, the 29th of August at 4pm on Channel 10. And it's a really interesting uh, journey because the the basis is you travelling around Australia with a comedian. And, of course, in the first episode, it's Akmal. And the relationship you two have is quite interesting. And you said he was the first comedian you ever did, went on a tour with. Yeah, yeah. He did, Akmal did my support uh, for a while. But also the very first gig I ever did was with... Akmal, uh, you know, well, I, I came in to watch the room. I did a tryout spot, and he did a tryout spot. And we sort of hung around since then. But then when we started doing our own thing, we didn't, we just don't see each other as much. 
And then, so this was a great opportunity to do it. I mean, it's so easy to do stuff with people you know. Uh, you know, if it's a good show, mm. it's often that chemistry between the two people. So I know Akmal really well. So, yeah, it was good. And then, and then you can talk at ease. You don't feel that you're... You know, when you first meet someone, there's that awkward conversation that goes on mm. for years, actually. Uh, and then you sort of move into good conversation. I can go straight there with Akmal, which is good. Which comes across in the show, and that's interesting, the the trip you take. Did he really not know he was going to be travelling around in a combi van? No, we kept that as a surprise, yeah. <laughs> keen, you know, turn up. We didn't get too far in the combi, I booked on, but... I know. Um, <laughs> well, that's yeah, what we, I was going to ask we, you. We had lots of different cars to make it look interesting on, on camera. Right. Because you know, we film a lot on the cars, we feature... And you know they've got they've got all the technology now. They've got drones and they can take nice shots mm-hmm. and travel on the roads. And but at the end of the day, it's really just two guys or two comics uh, just uh, having a chat, really, uh, in a campsite. Which campsites are very good for conversation. Yes, and that's where some of the most fascinating stories comes out. And it's there's hilarious moments, but there's really also sincere moments and another side you don't usually hear from comedians. Mm, yeah, yeah, we talk about what it's like to be just on the road mm. continually or, or, you know, just staying in hotel rooms. I love the fact that we didn't stay in any hotel rooms and so over hotel rooms. Um, <laughs> I, I got the feeling that Mel wouldn't have minded before. a hotel room. But, uh, you know, your bum makes a uh, nice appearance when with skinny dipping. It really, uh, did you know they were filming that when you went for the swim? Yeah, bums are always coming, aren't they? <laughs> Um, My daughter said that to me. She goes, Dad, you got to admit, bombs are funny. (laughs) (laughs) You can't go wrong, right? Um, You can't go wrong. It, it's a really great show. It, you know, it's it's one of those shows that when you watch it, you immediately get a laugh and you just feel good watching it. And especially during a time where people are in lockdowns, it seems like the perfect remedy to me. Yeah, well, I had the idea for the show and then the pandemic passed. I thought, I've missed my opportunity. But no, luckily, uh, we're all back in lockdown again. So um, we can, you can watch it. You can nothing else to do. Well, mate, it's a great show. Waltzing Jamoan premieres Sunday, 29th of August at 4pm on Channel 10. Jamoan, I can't tell you what a thrill it is to talk to you. Thank you for being on TV you Black too. Box. TV Black Box. All the best. Have a good day. Cheers. All right, it's time to open up the binge box to find out what everyone's been watching. Mulk, give us your picks. Oh, oh, pick me, pick me. Uh, look, I've been diving into uh, Why Women Kill on season two on Paramount Plus. And uh, uh, look, I loved the first series, and this is as good, if not better. I'm I'm halfway through, so I've got a little bit to go yet. Uh, but it's it's they changed the format. It's not three parallel stories over time. Uh, it's set in the one time frame. But Alison Tolman is delightful and paired beautifully with Nick Frost. Uh, it's mate, a woman that wants to climb the ladder in the fifties and and the lengths that you will go to when things accidentally happen that you then take advantage of. It's brilliant. Why Women Kill, season two on Paramount+. Plus. I really enjoyed the first episode of Question Everything from Will Anderson and Jan Fran on the ABC. Uh, Keen to see how that grows and changes and ebbs uh, as they work through. That was the first episode, and I thought they knocked it out of the park. Great guests. I thought Conchetta, Luke Heggie, and uh, Alexi were brilliant as the guests on Question Everything. That's Wednesday nights, 8.30 on the ABC. 
Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see the first three episodes of the final season of Wentworth. It kicks off this Tuesday night, 8.30 on Fox Showcase. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's this, this is why we should have quotas on Australian drama, friends. It is brilliant television um, and absolutely worth the price of admission. Or they could just make good drama they believe in and make money that way. Which they did and conveniently it overlapped, Rob. How's about that? Good. Um, the, the, this is going to be a phenomenal farewell to Wentworth fans and to people who have hung in for the eight, nine-episode series that they've had. 90-odd episodes, I think. Um, delightful, funny, appalling, scary it's just great. It is so great. Uh, Wentworth uh, kicks off Wednesday night, sorry, Tuesday night on Fox Showcase, 8.30 Ooh, Eastern. I wonder when it comes to Netflix. Uh, probably once the series finishes and then a bit. Hmm. So you've probably got about 10 to 15 weeks, maybe 20 weeks before you get to see it. Or maybe if someone from Foxtel is listening, they could sort Sarah out. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe that could be possible. <laughs> um, friends, keep watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. Season 2 is... The best TV going around at the moment. Heartwarming, um, disarming, uh, enchanting, delightful. J- Jason Sudeikis is wonderful as Ted. And i got to tell you, uh, oh, I can't remember the guy, but the guy that plays Roy Keane, he is the standout star of season two. It is so good. I'm loving it. Sick. Um, other than that, there's other stuff that's flying around. I'm trying to preview things and stay ahead of it. I'm disappointed that George didn't get rid of Emmett on Survivor last night on 10, but maybe that will still come. Um, there's lots happening. Keep watching your tr- screens. <laughs> All right, Sarah, what have you been watching? Uh, yeah, so I split my week between penny stock trading and puppy dog training videos um, because Matt's out of town, <laughs> so I can actually dive deep into both. Um, and then I did finish Stateless, and I cried. It was so sad at the end. Um, but that was like so good. It was such a brilliant production and they need to make more of that. Can I, can I double back the news reader on ABC, which premiered two weeks ago? I think we're two weeks in now. Um, I've watched the final episode and I said on last week's podcast that I was a little bit iffy about what happened in episode five. I think it pays off really well in episode six. Congratulations, Michael Lucas. So play on friends. It is six episodes of greatness that desperately needs a season two. That's on the ABC. I haven't uh, caught up on last night's episode yet. Oh, you need to. I love these short season shows, like mini series, small things, because you can just you can do so much and pack it in, yeah, and not have yes. to drag it out. Mm. Aaron, yes. Well, I can cross that one off my list. Um, I've spoken about it. The newsreader absolutely agree. What a fantastic series! I'm loving it. Um, American Horror Stories has finally uh, wrapped up um, with its seventh episode. It goes back to the murder house um, theme um, and kind of wraps up that storyline. And then starting this week is it's back to the normal American Horror Story, which you know they have a theme across a whole whole series with Macaulay Culkin. So I'm really looking forward to that coming up. Um, I've been watching. I actually like the UK version of SAS Channel Seven. I think throw it out at about. 11.30 or midnight or whatever, but you can watch all the episodes on 7+. Plus. But I actually enjoy the um, the UK series, and it's not the celebrity stuff, it's just the normal stuff. I really enjoy that series. The Voice, um, I- I've been thinking about why the show's been doing so well. Um, it, you know, is it just because it was on after the Olympics, what was the thing? And uh, sort of comparing it to Channel 9's version, and I'm thinking, you know, obviously there's not much difference, but I have, I've started to see it. It's it's really the heart of the show. I mean, last year the judges fought quite a bit. Um, this year, even though they had their little fun sort of 
arguments. They, they it, it seems like they're four friends that absolutely love each other. On Sunday night's episode, they all got up and um, did a um, who could hold the longest note for the Titanic song, My Heart Will Go On. And they've been getting up with the contestants quite a bit. It's been great. Um, there's a particular family I like, um, the Fuller siblings, um, Sian and Jordan. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, the voice going really well. I've also been, oh, here, here comes my crush, my absolute number one crush, and here comes the gay part. <laughs> it's uh, Jason Momoa. I absolutely love him. Um, and Netflix uh, have a new movie that just came out a couple of days ago days ago called Sweet Girl. So there's no taking your shirt off or anything like that, but it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's actually a really good movie, uh, Sweet Girl on Netflix. And I watched the Mark Wahlberg one on uh, Paramount Plus, I think. It, yeah, uh, Infinite which is actually quite good. It's a sci-fi type series. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've been watching. Okay. I've been watching The Moth Effect on Amazon Prime Video, and I've got to say, this is hilarious, much better than that Auntie Donna crap, whoever had that one. Oh, wash your mouth No, I just, The Moth Effect is actually uh, well thought really? out, got some great cameos, but it's actually just funny. It's it's just funny. Um I've really been just devouring eight out of ten cats. We had the passing of Sean Locke in the last week, and it's so, so funny. It's, the comedians all around the world, especially Adam Hills, have been posting lots of clips. And do yourself a favour, search um, Sean Locke, Carrot in a Box, because oh. it is one of the funniest bits of video you will ever, ever see. Just Gold. Um, I'm going to use that at youth camps. Oh, Count in a box is the best idea ever. A- absolutely. Um, friends on Netflix, my daughter has, my 14-year-old daughter has discovered and just loves it and is devouring it and making me devour it as well. Um, unlike you, Mulk, I did not like Question Everything. I found it Gruen light. I felt it was ill-conceived. Gruen was great because it's looking at the world of advertising. It has an objective. It has experts who are also funny as part of this. What is the objective of Question Everything? I love the fact-checking aspect, but then there's no analysis of why this is happening or what the purpose is. It's more just, oh, someone's told this, they've got this wrong, now let's make a joke. Now, the comedians are a little raw, which is fine. Gruen discovered new talent with the likes of Dee Madigan and, and, and Russell Howcroft. We didn't know these names before they came onto this show, but they became household names, so that can happen. They just feel that little bit young and inexperienced to me, and you could possibly have one on the panel but a full set just feels like it doesn't know where it is. There also seems to be the issue of this feels like it was meant to be a Gruen clone, but they've tried to throw Jan Fran in there to say, well, we've got the diversity of having a female on the panel. This isn't another white guy hosting a show. And the roles seem a little ill-defined. I think there are a few problems that they may work on over the coming weeks, but to me... It's lacking its major purpose. And for God's sake, Jan Friend's video on COVID zero, um, patient zero, sorry, was fantastic. Until at the very end, I got another lecture. I'm sick to death of TV lecturing me. You can still make your point without ramming it down my throat and making me feel like an, an absolute shit. Patient zero no, is a Rob. short, sorry? No, we can't. You don't listen. You know, you make a lot of assumptions about me, Mulk. Um, the 
the thing here is that patient zero is a is a term in use. I understand how it was misused and how it came about thanks to that Jan Friend video, which was fascinating. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't use it anymore. I, I don't know. I, I just found the... the I so just you don't find think the, that learning about its origin isn't reason to stop using it? I, I'm saying that perhaps people can make that choice for themselves. But in, you know, sometimes shortcuts come out, come about because of bad reasons, but that doesn't mean that we're all looking at that um, HIV patient and having a go at him every time we say patient zero. I, I don't know. Welcome. I, Welcome to Choices, the podcast, right? If you learn about the origin of a word or a phrase or a thing and then choose and, and find out that it's actually quite horrible uh, and then choose to keep using it, that is a choice indeed that you make. But words are fluid and language changes, so maybe no longer it means that. Exactly. Exactly, Sarah. And also, I think Jan... What does it mean? I think Jan Fran... It means means who is the perceived first person to pass this on. The the first case. Yeah. We made fun that I was patient zero when I went to Israel and I had some kind of disgusting flu that then I gave to Matt, who then gave to all the people who were in Israel worldwide doing training with his company. And two weeks later, people in like... 28 countries or something, we were like, did anybody else get this flu while they were in Israel? I was patient zero. <laughs> and I'm okay with saying And there you go. It's just a term. But my point being that we don't need, at the end of that, she said, maybe we shouldn't use it. If she'd said, maybe we shouldn't use it anymore, she said, don't use it anymore. I'm the school mom and I'm telling you that what is not, not to do. what she said oh, at come all. on. It was pretty much that. Anyway. I oh, think- okay. Pretty much that. That's fine then. That's his perception. That's how he feels. His feelings That's about how it, it. came Rob's across to me, as a viewer. And I think the program has a lot of problems and needs a bit of fixing as it goes along. Hopefully, unlike the cheap seats, which I've stopped watching, hopefully this show learns from its first episodes and evolves. I still think there's hope. There were still good. There were good moments. I'm not saying this is one to flush down the toilet. I'm just saying that, to me, there's room for improvement and more definition of what it's trying to be. Sure. My wife and I finally finished Handmaid's Tale on SBS On Demand. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The 100 on 9, I'm still enjoying. Um, And, of course, the family is just in love with The Voice. All right. That brings us to the end of TV Black Box. Don't forget to go to tvblackbox.com.au for all your television news needs and you can subscribe to the newsletter just by going to the same website slash newsletter and don't forget to vote in the poll i tell you what there is a band of one uh breakfast show i think is really taking to the voting and they are trying to get that show to number one and so far it's working so make sure if you like uh today's show Sunrise or News Breakfast, you're voting in the poll. The results will be released next week. I'm Rob McKnight. I've been joined by Mulk, Sarah and Aaron right here on the TV Black Box and we'll see you or hear from you next week. Au revoir. Choice, choice, choice. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.